If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to the book of Genesis? Right at the very start of the Bible, I was going to give you a page number. I don't know if you do that in this church, but it's Genesis. And it's Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, I'm going to start reading at verse 9 through to the end of the chapter. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So, make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But... I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them." Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Amen. This is the Word of God. It's not always in life that we're given a warning of things to come. News often comes out of the blue. A windfall which settles us financially, or a job loss which has the opposite effect. Yet at times we do receive a warning. Time to prepare. The residents of Doncaster and Fish Lake in South Yorkshire received a severe, that is a danger to life warning, of rain at the beginning of November last year. Close to one month's rainfall then came down in just 24 hours. 400 homes were flooded. 1,200 properties evacuated. The river Don, running through the towns, burst its banks. I'm sure you remember the pictures on the TV news when the only transport left that could get along the roads were tractors and boats. But the warnings were given and the warnings were heeded, and as a result, despite the widespread damage to property, danger to life was minimized with the report only of one person losing her life. 
Imagine you were there. Well, you wouldn't want to leave your home, I'm sure. But for most people, fear for their lives would overcome fear for their property. You or I, like them, would act to protect our lives. There was little they could do for their property. But in fear for their lives, they moved to higher ground, they moved to safety. Well, this morning I want us to consider the topic of fear. But I want us to consider faith and fear. And to do so, we'll look at the passage we read from Genesis. But if, um, if you can keep one finger in the front of your Bible, I want you to flip over to the back of your Bible, to the book of Hebrews. And my text for this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 11. So if you would turn with me to Hebrews 11, and we'll read verse 7 together. Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. I want us to look, uh, you'll not be surprised at this, under three headings. I want us to look this morning at the warning Noah received, at the action Noah took, and at the consequences Noah experienced. So first of all, the warning Noah received, Hebrews 11 verse 7 again, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Notice straight away that in this passage, if you're familiar with this chapter, you'll know that it uh, rehearses the stories of many people throughout the Bible. This verse links to verse 1, the opening verse, where we're told that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Noah acted in faith when warned of things not yet seen, just as the residents of Fish Lake had not yet seen the extent of the damage of the flood that would come their way when they fled, so Noah had not yet seen the flood that would come his way, or the judgment that would accompany it. But he acted. His acceptance of the warning from God was an act of faith. Often it's easy to exercise faith when things are going well. But Noah deployed faith in a hostile environment. Look at Genesis again. Genesis 6 at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. It is, I think, a comfort to know that when things in the world seem bad to us, this has not escaped God's notice. God was about to act with justice and righteousness and wrath. But in mercy, He also brought a warning. Now, can I just say for a moment, I, I wonder if you believe in a God who acts in justice and in wrath and in judgment. If you believe in a God who doesn't, then you presumably believe in a God who is quite content 
with all the wrong things that are going on in this world. Now, I'm not content with them, and I suspect you're not content with them, so how much more is God not content with them? And He will bring judgment and justice and wrath to deal with them, and He did at that time with Noah. But He also acts in mercy, and in mercy He issued a warning. For it was the wickedness of the people that was about to bring God's wrath, their corruption that would bring His judgment, but He sent a warning to Noah, a warning which led to the action Noah took. So secondly, let's look at the action Noah took. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Noah's obedient action was to build an ark, but notice that he did so in holy fear. Now, what is this holy fear? Well, let's settle what it isn't. Noah didn't act because he was afraid of God, as some of us might be afraid of spiders. He didn't act because he's afraid that God might come after him, that God might punish him if he didn't do as he was told. We've seen that God was about to act against the world because of people's corruption, and the people didn't respond, but Noah did. He responded, he was the one who responded in holy fear. That was the appropriate response that we would expect of a righteous man, as Noah is described in Genesis 6 verse 9. This really tells us a lot about Noah's relationship with God. Noah was a righteous man. His was much more than a knowledge about God. His was a knowledge of God. He did much more than believe in God. He knew a relationship of trust and obedience with God. I mean, we can imagine him, can't we? taking time each, each day, unlike his neighbors, taking time each day to pray to God, raising his family, and as he did so, teaching them to approach God with reverence and fear, to give to God true respect and worship as the Creator of all things, just as we ought to do today if we follow God and want to influence our families likewise. Noah is described as a righteous man, and holy fear is the appropriate response of a righteous person. Noah is first and foremost a model for us to follow. For the person who delights in God, the person who seeks to honor Him in every way and at all times, for that person, holy fear is the appropriate way to approach God. If you're a believer here today, how do others, how do your family even, how do they see you? Do they see you on your knees before God in prayer? What do they learn from your posture about your relationship with God? How do they hear you pray? Do they hear the language of fear and faith and wonder and awe? Well, now let's think more deeply about holy fear. The fear of the Lord, the Bible describes it as. 
Perhaps you know that maybe the most famous verse about that, Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, firstly note that it is fear of the Lord. And when you look up Proverbs, you find it's in capital letters. It's Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. For this fear is linked in a personal way to the personal revelation of God to us about Himself. This is not a concept. This is relational. This is not a feeling. This is a bond. Fear of the Lord shapes everything in our lives. Noah was willing to change the entire focus of his life to prepare for the future God had warned him about. Noah was willing to stand out against the crowd and the way that they lived. Noah was willing to be different. He was willing to be committed to God. Holy fear shaped Noah's knowledge of God. And holy fear shaped his opinion of the people around about him. Can't have escaped Noah's notice just how everyone was behaving. Genesis 6, verse 12, all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Noah didn't run with that crowd. Noah didn't weigh up God's ways and his neighbor's ways and think, I'll just go with them. Noah's fear of God shaped his view of the world and his consequent actions. It shaped his commitments. It shaped his actions. It shaped his life. Are you getting the sense of a man with a deep relationship with God? God first. And this ought to be the same for all who call themselves God's people. It's not just that Noah saw the corruption of the people around about him. He also saw the glory of God and a knowledge and a sight of the glory of God transforms our perspective. Let me give you another Old Testament example. I wonder if you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6 and the vision that Isaiah had. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, what did he say? Woe to me, he cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In Isaiah's case, he came to know and to see that God was great and awesome and righteous and holy, and then he understood, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He came to understand his own sin when he saw the glory of God, and he came to understand that he could do nothing about it by himself. The holiness of God leads to the fear of the Lord, 
and leads us to an understanding of our position. But how much more should we behave as Noah behaved, or if you like, as Isaiah behaved? For our knowledge of God, our knowledge of God here today is greater still, isn't it? We live on this side of the cross. We know that Jesus went to the cross for us. We have seen with our own eyes, so to speak, the consequences of our sin. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. And what? Would we just carry on walking on by? Would we continue to argue and to boast that, well, we have the right to our own autonomy? We can do as we choose, really. We can call the shots. Would we not rather fall on our knees before a holy God in fear of Him? Would we not rather fall on our knees as we see how just and how great He is, and how great is the gulf between the utter holiness of God and the utter sinfulness of our hearts. So far are we, so far are we from the greatness and glory of God that it took the sacrifice of His one and only Son to deal with us. There's a quote I never tire of reading from John Piper in his, one of his books on the supremacy of God, and it is this. Oops. It horribly skews the meaning of the cross, writes Piper, when contemporary prophets of self-esteem say that the cross is a witness to my infinite worth since God was willing to pay such a high price to get me. The biblical perspective is that the cross stands in witness to the infinite worth of God and the infinite outrage of sin. Oughtn't we not to approach God with holy fear? Secondly, the Bible teaches that fear of God comes from God Himself. And whereas human fear forces us to flee, fear of God actually draws us close. Let me read to you the same verse I read to the children earlier on from Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Let me pause just for a moment and ask you, do you have that kind of relationship with God? Do you know the fear of God, the fear by which we do not run? I mean, when we think of running, of of fear, we think of running away, don't we? 
When faced with an ugly mob in the street, we would turn and run just as fast as we possibly could. When a child is frightened, he or she runs away from whatever is frightening. When the rains threatened and the rivers were going to burst their banks, the residents of Fish Lake fled to higher ground. Even though they've dropped out the news, the protesters in Hong Kong these last few months, bold as they have been, turn and run in fear when the police advance with riot shields and batons and rubber bullets. But we have a God who inspires us to fear Him with a holy fear, a fear by which we do not run, a fear that means we will never turn away from Him. Thirdly, did you know that God protects those who fear Him? Psalm 34, verse 7 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. When was anyone ever delivered by the one they feared? But this is how it is with the Lord. Now, fear, we often say, generates fight or flight. Well, we've talked about flight and running away, and we don't need to. But what about fight? Did you know that you have no need of your own strength when you approach God in holy fear? The Psalms again, Psalm 147, verse 10. The Lord's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor His delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Well, that is what we saw Noah do. Noah acted motivated by holy fear. He put his hope in God's unfailing love and he and his family were delivered. So, let's move on then, thirdly and finally, to look at the consequences that Noah experienced. Firstly, and most obviously, salvation for his family. Notice here that salvation was only found by going into the ark. Those who got into the ark were saved. Those who remained outside perished. There was one precise way given by God by which they would be saved. Friends, it's still the same today. It's not a physical wooden ark that we need to climb into, of course. No vessel, no building, and certainly no church is going to give us salvation. The only way in which we can gain salvation is in a person, not an object for salvation is gained only in Jesus Christ. Listen to the Apostle Peter, speaking just weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, he stands up and he speaks to the crowd, and he says to them, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Friends, the story of Noah 
is the story of salvation. It's a historic event, but it serves as a parable for us as well. And in this parable, we can see one clear equivalence. In the story of Noah, the ark represents Christ. The book of Acts again, a story from the time of the Apostle Paul, this time Acts chapter 16. The Philippian jailer then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. God's message hasn't changed. It's still the same today. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Get into the ark. The flood is coming. Get into the ark. God's judgment is coming. Get into the ark. It's the only way of salvation. And Jesus is our ark. There is only one way by which we may be saved from the wrath of God. God Himself in His mercy has provided that way by faith in Jesus Christ. So I ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Now before we finish, I want you to see a second consequence of Noah's faith. By his faith, Hebrews eleven seven 7 says, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is, I think, singularly the most astonishing thing about faith. That those who put their faith in God are given something from Him. They are brought into His family and made heirs of God. The inheritance they receive is something that they, that we, simply do not have and cannot have unless it comes from God. For it is a quality possessed of God alone. Righteousness. When God gives to the believer His righteousness, then the believer receives the right to live before God. The believer receives salvation. If you were to spin back to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, in chapter 1, verse 14, you'd find the writer describing those to whom he wrote, as those who will inherit salvation. Well, we began by talking about fear. We discovered that fear of God does not lead us to running away, but rather to turning towards Him. We are drawn to Him. And more than that, we are drawn into His family. But then we also seen that through faith we receive His righteousness how was it that Noah came to be described as a righteous man? He was given of God. And we are saved by that righteousness. This is what Noah and his family knew. And this is what we can know too. But only in Christ. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Ask for the gift of faith. Ask for God's righteousness to be poured out on you to be saved. Maybe you need to get into the ark, and the ark is Jesus. So as we finish, I'm going to pray. And if you want to pray these words with me, please do so.
and see you remain at the end. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of righteousness and eternal life. I'm sorry for my guilt in rebelling against you. I'm sorry for what comes out of my heart. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your Son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. I want to be holy as he is holy. Amen.